Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. I want you to write this word down because this is kind of a relationship whether that was his name or nickname, but it did fit, you'll see in the scriptures, who he is. A foolish person, often in the Bible, is not talking about IQ. It's talking about one who thinks and lives apart from God and his word. So a fool, very often, simply denies God's existence, gives himself over to whatever he wants to do. He's the ruler of his life. When you think of the term foolish, what do you think of? Well, probably someone who makes poor or bad life decisions, like paying too much for a car of dubious quality simply because it's the color they like. The Bible, however, many times defines foolish people as those who firstly deny the existence of God. Pastor Mark will be teaching about such a person and his interaction with David. Once again, you'll see how David's integrity and the foolish man's wife's wisdom allow God to render the ultimate judgment in the situation, which for the foolish man in this case was death. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 25 as he continues his series, The Life of David. You're going to study with us tonight, you need a Bible. And if you didn't bring one, our ushers would love to bring you one. Just raise your hand. And let's turn to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel the Old Testament. And you can turn to chapter 25. We will not quite finish chapter 25 tonight. Because there's just a lot of good stuff in there. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Verse 1, now Samuel died. I want you to put your name there. On the count of three, we're going to say it together. Mark is dead. Not Mark, your name. (laughs) All right, count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Mark is dead. What do you think about that? Think that's going to happen? It is. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after death, the judgment. See, sometimes we never think about this. The only kind of time we think about it is if we get a bad report, if we go to a funeral, if we get a scare. We don't think about it. You saw today in Germany, two U.S. military people killed at the airport. Boom. This morning when they got up, wasn't it obviously a thought in their mind? They're not in Afghanistan. They're not in Iraq. They're in Germany. But that happens. You see, 
We know the day's coming. I mean, that's not a surprise. But to say your name, Mark is dead, of course, I won't be saying that. Somebody else is going to be saying that. Did you hear Pastor Mark's dead? Did you hear Joe's dead? Did you hear Julie is dead? What? You're kidding me. All the circumstances will be different. But one morning, we'll get up, and that will be our last day. Now, we've learned... That shouldn't be a shock to us because our future is in God's hands. Samuel, we'll talk about his life in a moment. What an amazing life. He's dead. And so we've learned to really focus on two things in our life. First thing you can write tonight is this. We have to learn to use our time to expand the kingdom of God. That's really why you're here, is to expand that kingdom Be that salt and light wherever we go so that people do know that our God is good. We also learn that we want to die with as few regrets as possible. And one of those things we learned about was we always get in trouble if we take circumstances into our own hands. So the the least regrets is to wait for God. To make that move, tell us what to do, and then we respond to it. So the first thing is to learn to use our time to expand the kingdom of God. And the second thing, I don't have it as a no, but it's a second key for us. We have to learn and make sure that we're making God look good. We're making God look good. It's not about us. It's not about you. And the the individual we're going to see just in that verse 1, Samuel, he really did make God look good. Amazing. Now, How did that happen? As you go through the Bible, sometimes we forget the miracles, but just keep your finger right there. We'll be back shortly. Just turn back a few chapters, back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we just want to go through a little bit of Samuel. And This is a man who was an amazing judge and prophet, just an amazing person in the Bible. In fact, many people equate Samuel with the greatest prophets like Moses, and we'll see why. Well, you remember early, we'll just go down to verse 5, Samuel was a young boy, and was at the temple, the tabernacle, and he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am, you call me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, now go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. My son Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. In other words, he didn't, he'd never, certainly never heard him personally. It's not like we have today. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he, he didn't know the voice. He, he couldn't re- respond to it properly. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel a third time. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you call me. And then finally, Eli catches on. Okay, this kid isn't playing tricks. This is God. And Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, if you don't have this underlining in your Bible, you should. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, 
and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and he stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel, we have a personal God. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. It was that beginning that would be a foundation to the man Samuel. It was Samuel's faith and courage that eventually helped the nation in their transition from disunity, political disunity, to somewhat a united monarchy. Now remember, during that position, God never really wanted the children of Israel to have a king. But the children of Israel kept saying, well, the other nations have it. We want to be like this. And Because of that, God finally gave in. And Samuel was this amazing person who just came on the scene. And as he came, as you go through the Bible, you can't seem to find anywhere that Samuel failed God. Now, obviously, he did. But we don't have it in Scripture. So we don't, we don't see anything about Samuel failing. Sometimes we don't think. We think of Moses. We think of Abraham. We think of David. But sometimes we never even think of Samuel. And Samuel is an amazing role model, one of the early prophets. And uh, the last judge, of course, before the transition into a king. And uh, he led the people against the Philistine oppressors. When he was an older man, you remember, he anointed Saul. And then had to remove, or God did, and he had to tell Saul that that anointing would be removed. And then, of course, he anointed David, and just one of those amazing prophets. Jeremiah 15, sometimes we forget how the Bible works together. Let me read it to you. Then the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward the people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Moses And Samuel, equal level. Men that were honest, full of integrity. Saul was the opposite. Samuel was steadfast. In his farewell address, you remember, in chapter 12, he called on the people to serve God with respect and faithfulness and cautioned them if they didn't, there was disaster coming. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 25. And let's just notice what happens. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel, of course, that's figuratively speaking, assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Mayan. Now, they buried him. Some people would have thought they had buried him in the school of the prophets near Naoth, but basically probably near his home, kind of in Roma, where he was born. Now we're introduced to somebody who is not full of integrity, is not an honest man. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. Now, this is not Carmel in the north of Israel. This is in the south. And he had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, uh, Calebite, was surely and mean in his dealings. 
Now, you already see there's going to be a problem. Those of you who are married, you know what happens, don't you? You always seem to marry an opposite. So get ready, because we're going to have fun with this. We're going to begin to see now, in this chapter, once again, how human David is. Understand, if this Bible was not honest, you wouldn't have this chapter. You wouldn't have all the amazing things that these godly men, David, the reason he really was a man after God's own heart was when confronted with sin, eventually he does quit making excuses and he repents and he tries to do right. Saul is the opposite. You talk to him, he says nice words, he never really changes. So the reason David is a man after God's own heart is because when confronted, of course he's human, he does repent. So it's a good thing for all of us to understand, but you're going to see how human David is. But before we do that, what causes that humanity to come out in him, and we're introduced to this man named Nabal. Now his name means fool. How about that at the hospital? Where's your son over there? Oh, there's the one on the bassinet that says fool. We don't know whether that was given his name or because as he worked as a person, it was kind of like what? There's a fool. There he is over there. Whether it was nickname, we really don't know. But uh, in the Bible, there's different ways you can use the word fool. This one seems to focus more on not mental. Sometimes when we think of fool, we think of IQ, low IQ, whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about moral deficiencies. And the closer you are to this word, here's what kind of comes out. It portrays a person who is close to God and close to morality. And so I want you to write this word down because this is kind of a relationship, whether that was his name or nickname, but it did fit. You'll see in the scripture who he is. A foolish person often in the Bible is not talking about IQ. It's talking about one who thinks and lives apart from God and his word. So a fool very often simply denies God's existence, gives himself over to whatever he wants to do. He's the ruler of his life. Now, the Bible actually defines foolishness. Psalms 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's that's the core definition often in the Bible of fool, There is no God. So the person lives and thinks as if there is no God. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. What does he become? His own God. So a fool tonight very often is a person that ignores or disobeys God's word. And they rebel against any kind of the will of God for their life. And they live as though... There is no life after death. Now think about that second one. They rebel against God's will for their lives. Sometimes when we see people do that, we say to them, you're foolish. What is wrong with you? Think of Jonah. God says, go left. He goes right. He had a little wake-up call, remember? In the belly of a whale for three days, where he finally came to his senses. But he was just going to rebel. So as you think about that, First thing we see with Nabal, he's a fool. Now, we're not foolish here, normally. But sometimes we can be. 
Sometimes we can live as if, well, there is no God, and I just do my own thing. So be careful tonight. Also, remember, we started out with your death. There is life after death. We're going to live in one of two places. Well, the next thing we're going to see, you already read a little bit about it. You're going to see through the scripture. He's a very rich man, but he's not a generous man. Now, you know, it's interesting. If you follow human nature, very often that's the case. Rich people sometimes are really pretty stingy. They're not generous. And then you find the others. You've experienced this yourself. People that don't seem to have much, they'll give the shirt off their back to you. They're generous. Now, in our fellowship, we have wonderful people. You're just generous. You're good people. Nabal is not one of these people. He's rich. We don't have too many rich people, I don't think. But we have some, and they are generous. And you're generous. And I want to be generous. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So notice what that said again. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When I ever read that verse, I always think of this. And you'll know this. You're out in the yard with a hose. And you're sprinkling. And you're sprinkling, sprinkling. And all of a sudden that hose... There's a leak coming. As you're sprinkling... What happens to you? You get bathed. You see, that's what God's really saying. As I'm giving to others, what happens? God blesses me. And see, stingy people, they don't understand that. They don't understand. So they try to hoard it to themselves. No, the Bible says if you're generous, God will give back to you. And so that's a wonderful thing. And I just want to thank you because you're generous with your time and your talents. And of course, you're giving. Now, Nabal is best known here for his riches and possessions, but he's also not respected, you're going to see this as we go through, by his wife and by his employees. Why? Because he lacks character. He is going to be harsh and rude and cruel and carnal and arrogant. Now, think about this. Living without God, what else would we expect? He doesn't have any kind of a role model. Now, if you want to write in your little column there, you can just say the counter to this man or the New Testament of this man is found in the book of Luke. The rich man that has barns full, what's he do? He goes out and makes more barns. He's going to fill more and more and more. So that's kind of the New Testament picture of Nabal here in the Old Testament. Now, it was... Harvest time as far as sheep. All those sheep, and you've seen them, they got all that wool and they can't hardly walk and they do fall over, they're dead, whatever. And so it's time to shear them. Notice verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing the sheep. So this would be a great time. It was actually a celebration time because big bucks are coming. All this wool is coming off. So Nabal is now bringing those animals in so the protection doesn't need to be there anymore. They're coming in, and so some money's going to happen. Watch what happens in verse 5. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Now go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him. Here's the key. Here's the key as we go through. Don't forget. Greet him in my name. So it's really David talking to Nabal. And say to him, 
Long life to you. Good health to you and your household. And good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So what is David doing? He's doing something that was normal in those times. It was common. What happened was basically this. Over a long period of time, since probably the last time some of those sheep had been sheared, but especially maybe when they moved into this area, we don't know the timing of it. They had watched over. Now, remember, he has 600 men. So he's got a lot of men. They had watched over Nabal's sheep. From what? From animals, wolves, bears, all kind of predators. Secondly, they watched over people what? Having a little lamb dinner for Sunday from Nabal's flock. Stealing it, taking it away. So over all those months, which is pretty normal, they had provided security for Nabal. So in those days, again, that was a valuable service. It was normal. And usually at the shearing time, compensation would come. The person would say, man, look at all my sheep. And goes, wow, thanks so much. Okay, I'm going to compensate you for that. So notice, David is really doing everything right. In verse 5 through 7, it's positive. Good buddy, friends. Uh, he's reminding them, you know, you have all your sheep. Everything's good. Remember what happened? The Philistines would like to come over and raid all the time. All kinds of things. The grain, the sheep, the whatever. So he says, we've protected your animals. And I'm sending these 10 men. And watch what he says in verse 8. And ask your own servants and they will tell you. In other words, your servants were out there. They saw that we did this job. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David... Whatever you can find for them. So notice as he begins talking, he's not greedy. He's not demanding. He's just asking for simple remuneration. Something common sense. Now when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message. Here it is again. In David's name. And they waited. David's expectation? Logical. Here's a man. He doesn't have like two sheep. He got 3,000 sheep. He got 1,000 goats. He can spare some. So what he's really asking is for this Nabal to give some supplies and some food and some things for, remember, David has an army of 600 people. Give some. He isn't telling them how much. Come on back. Verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Now watch the words I and my in the next verse. Why should I take my bread and water in the meat I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? In today's message, Pastor Mark reminded you that death awaits everyone, no matter who you are. The important thing is that you live to please God. He also brought you to the point in David's story where he has to deal with a man who's known as being a fool. You learned today how the Bible defines the word fool and how to avoid having yourself defined in that manner. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. 
Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue teaching on the life of David. He will dive into the man Nabal. You'll find out who he was and how he chose to live, which caused others to consider him a fool and how you can avoid being defined in that same manner. David will have to deal with this man and will almost make a grave error because, blinded by his pride, he nearly responds in an ungodly way. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, The Life of David. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.